Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution, a show dedicated to helping you actually live the life that you love. I'm your host, Amrit Sandhu, international speaker, global coach, and loving podcaster. As a gift for tuning into this podcast, I have something really special just for you. My premium short course, which can teach you how to meditate in just seven days. You can download it now at www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. That's www.inspiredevolution.com forward slash learn. Learn how to meditate in just seven days. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this powerfully insightful conversation. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the latest episodes launching every Monday designed to help you live the life you love and keep you inspired to evolve. Welcome to this episode of the Inspired Evolution, and it is an incredible treat to be here today. We have with us Michael Mead. Michael, how are you, sir? I'm good. Good to be with you, Amri. It is such a pleasure to have you here. For those tuning in to Michael for the first time, one quick sec. He's a renowned storyteller, author, he's a scholar of mythology, anthropology, psychology, and combined storytelling. If you ever, ever, ever are thinking about tuning into a podcast, please go tune into the Living Myth podcast. It is humbly my favorite podcast in terms of content, what comes out there. It is something that the easy way to put it is it brings me back home to a center. It's a really beautiful, beautiful breakdown of story, uh, life. The the latest one was on peace um, and just the basics of philosophy broken down in through such gorgeous storytelling, Michael. 
it is just such a beautiful place to be able to access your work online through that podcast. So it's an absolute treat to have you here today. Welcome. Great, great. Good to hear that. I wanted to um, I wanted to start and tune in because for me, growing up as a as an Indian person, there's a lot of Indian mystics out there, and uh, their works are very renowned and very um, accessible. And I came across when I, a friend of mine uh, directed me to your podcast. And when I started listening to your podcast, I fell in love with it. Obviously, there's, you know, the mysticism speaks to me. But I was just curious about your journey, um, feeling into mysticism, being from the West. Um, and that may sound a bit, um, yeah, a bit, uh, why, why is he asking it like that? But yeah, growing up as an Eastern man with lots of mysticism in his background, it's a, I'm a bit more open to it. So I was wondering how you came across to, I guess, you know, feeling into your story, which I know storytelling is a massive part of it. When did it, when did you go, ah, mysticism is my, is my thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened to me that was so unusual was on my 13th birthday, my aunt gave me a book. She asked me what I was interested in. And I said, history. She went to a bookstore. Actually, she was the first person in our family to ever go to a bookstore and buy a book. We had books from school, we had books from church, but we didn't, we didn't buy books. Anyway, she was very short. They pointed to a shelf, she reached up, she grabbed the book, they wrapped it, she gave it to me. I tore the cover off and she said, it's the wrong book. Um, and I'm looking at it and I'm seeing a flying horse with a guy on the horse shooting an arrow. And I'm going, no, I want this book. And she's saying, it's the wrong book. And so I tear the rest of the paper off and it says mythology. And so I had a mythology book on my 13th birthday. I read almost the entire book that night. And so in a sense, um, mysticism is in the realm of myth. Uh, it's, it's the mystical is related to the mythical. And so I got this introduction to a language that felt like the real story to me, the real language. Mm -hmm. So that's what set me up. And then to get more, to get closer to uh, the mystical, the way I, I think I tapped into it was through the Irish. Mm. My family's Irish from both sides. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, I tapped right into Celtic stuff. Mm. Um, it was in the neighborhood. And, and then I got interested in, in uh, Celtic mythology, which is very mystical. And so um, it felt natural to me also. Mm. I love that. It's uh, wonderful to hear you, hear you share that you found what you what felt for you to be a real language, um, because in today's I don't want to say vernacular, but our our current awareness of what myth means, um, it sort of feels like myth means untrue or kind of um, true in a time long gone or. You know, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't feel real, and yet for you it felt like a real language. Could you expand upon that potentially, and maybe the, the yeah? Well, it's fascinating and it's ironic. Mm. Uh, so uh, you could say that myth is emergent truth. I know you like the word emergent. Mm. So uh, so the uh, the most common meaning of myth in the ancient world was emergent truth. The stories are the place from where truth is constantly trying to emerge. Mm. And each person interprets a st story in connection to their own life. So each, people, each person could find mythical knowledge and mystical knowledge just 
by the way they heard the story. And so um, that's what I got at 13. I got it like, mm. oh, no, this is this helps me understand this, the world. It actually opens like a world to me. And it was shocking to me to realize that most people now think myth means something false. <laughs> <laughs> and so that just shows you how people have fallen and people have lost what I call vertical imagination. Mm. They've lost the vertical imagination that makes the world a high place and a low place. And that stretches the human being between the goat's earth and the heavens. And so everybody's connected now, but it's horizontal. Mm. Everybody's connected on a horizontal level through the, you know, the World Wide web and all that kind of stuff. And we've lost that, that vertical imagination, which is essential to, um, human culture really. And, and of course to mysticism. Mm. So, yeah, I had, I had a knowledge at that time that I could not even share mm. at school. No one knew what I was talking about. I was trying to say, Hey, there's this story. I had, we had a friend, we were like in a gang. I'm growing up in New York city where I win this little gang, mm. you know, and I'm telling the, the, you know, my friends, I'm saying it's not really a gang, it's a crew. We're like Jason and the Argonauts. We're looking for the golden fleece. And they, they you know, whoa, wait a minute, cut that out. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, at 13, 14, a young person has their, their dream world is open, their psyche is open, and knowledge can really be awakened. And so it took me another 20 years to figure out what to do with it, but I got the original insight at 13. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure there's many stories in those 20 years. That's why yeah. I, <laughs> um, I wanted to sort of tune into that vertical imagination piece that you shared. Thank you so much for sharing your background. Um, the vertical imagination piece. And yeah, I love the the way you're describing that in terms of we're much more horizontally connected than actually vertical. Um, could you elaborate on what potentially it means to be vertically connected? And then, quick short second after is the second part of that question would be what do you think's holding us back from these vertical imagination pieces at the moment is there like a is there a fear in us or is there just a disconnect in society at the moment or i'm putting words in your mouth and i should shut up and ask a question <laughs> no, no that's all right that's all right uh, that's a really good question what's holding what's so lack of imagination mm. is a key to what's happening in the world in other words, people have lost the sense of the mystic, that, that what we're seeing is permeable. We are permeable. Mm -hmm. There's an old mystical idea that I love, which is that knowledge is flowing into the world moment to moment mm -hmm. in, to, and towards everyone in the world, mm -hmm. but it's coming so fast that people don't get it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why people need a teacher or a practice to slow it down in order that we could absorb it. And so people don't know how to slow down and open up to all that's coming in. Mm. And, and it's coming in in this sense of a vertical field because uh, so the, what I imagine as this vertical imagination is the capacity to imagine the height of heavens and feel the depth of the underworld. Mm. And a human is supposed to be stretched from the depths of feeling to the heights of thought, uh, from the depths of the soul to the heights of spirit. And um, so in, in alchemy, Western alchemy, they call that circulatio, mm. to 
rise to the heights. But if, per, if a person stays on the heights, they're one day going to fall. Mm. So in order to earn or sustain a connection to the heights of spirit, we need the depth of soul. Mm. So that, that comes from the old idea that spirit is connected to fire and air and it rises towards one. Soul is connected to earth and water and it descends towards the many. Mm. And so we're all supposed to be growing into this, you know, very big capacity to connect to and to be able to imagine the heights of spirit, the depths of soul. Mm. And I think what happens is people have just lost the imagination. People have lost the sense of what a human being is. Mm. So another way to see that is people have accepted the idea of an accidental universe, right? Remember when mm. they figured out there was no center, you couldn't measure and find the center of the universe. So they thought because there's no center, it's accidental. Mm. But it really means that because there's no exact center, the center is wherever you are, mm. if you're in touch with your center. Mm -hmm. And so, so, but once they got the accidental universe, then they said, well, everybody who's born must be an accident mm. because the whole universe is accidental. So then people allowed the collapse of the cosmos mm. and the collapse of the mystic capacity for humans to be equal to the world. In, in the sense of imagination. Mm. And it's waiting to be found again. That's the good part. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to inquire about. It's my very next question is, you know, there's this, um, it almost in some ways when we're talking about it, it seems like we potentially may be running the risk of growing backwards. Um, but then I, and maybe I'm, maybe you can enlighten me on this, but the way I perceive it is we have our own inner purpose and we have the outer purpose of life and the energy of where life is taking us. And there's a connection between the two um, and the most grace and ease and surrender that we may experience is, in my humble opinion, when we're connected between the inner and outer purpose and we're living more in that surrender and flow. Um, it does make me wonder this uh, loss of imagination, what it may be in service to relative to the outer purpose? Um, is it more of a, a we're on a journey of coming home to ourselves again? Or is it like a breath that comes in and comes out? And it's something that is time and time again, we, we remember and we forget and we remember and we forget. Um, and maybe it just meant to, is meant to be and it's not meant to be questioned and I'm just meant to surrender to it. Um, yeah, but any thoughts on, uh, on yeah, like this, this aspect of uh, in terms of if we're feeling like this, you know, is there a greater purpose to our forgetting um, as opposed to our remembering? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. 
Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. No, that's really interesting. Um, so the, what it makes me think of mm. is that we're living at the end of an era. Mm. We're living at a time of collapse. Um, the COVID crisis is a mini version of what's happening on the bigger scale. And what I mean by that is um, people got separated because of, of the pandemic uh, in most parts of the world and people had to get more isolated and people became more aware of death. And now as, even in places where people are trying to come back together, it's confusing mm -hmm. um, because the world that we used to have is already gone. It's gone. And so we're on the way to the other world. We're between the end of one era and the beginning of the next era. And that has happened many, many times. The, the breath of Vishnu, inhaling the dream and then exhaling the dream back out of the world. Mm. Except that uh, we're in between those breaths right now. Mm. And uh, so it has happened before. And it is from a mythical point of view, from a mythological point of view, there's reassurance. This has happened before. There'll be another world that comes out of all this. Um, but as the individual human, um, we can have a connection to that deep self or the Atman or mm. the oneness or whatever we want to mm. call it, but we can only live as ourselves. Mm. And so I'm interested in the idea that we're in the middle of a collective rite of passage. And in terms of the rite of passage, we've already left the previous world. It's, it's actually gone. People are trying to hold on to it, but effectively it's gone. But we haven't arrived at the world that's trying to arise. In, uh, in mythology, all mythologies that I've been able to study, creation is preceded by chaos. Mm. Darkness, chaos, emptiness, and then the world is created. And so we're in that darkness. We're in that chaos between before the next world comes. And then, depending on how you want to look at it, I like the idea that humans are agents of creation. Mm. So what we do with our individual lives, yes, each one of us is a tiny speck in an endless cosmos, yes. Mm. But, each, but each speck has the cosmos in it. Mm. the fact that we can talk about cosmos means we can imagine it. <laughs> if we can imagine it, it must be in us somehow. Mm. So then that comes from that comes the idea that history isn't something outside coming towards us. History is coming from the depths of individual souls. Mm. So on one hand, this is the core mystical idea that I could figure out. Um, there is a great oneness. There's a universal Atman self spirit and everything is part of it, mm. but it can only manifest uniquely so that each person is a unique manifestation of that great thing. Mm. And so then what the purpose for the human is to live out me becoming me, mm. and then I automatically am contributing to the world mm. because I'm an, I become an agent of creation. Mm. And one other turn on that that is interesting is Two people come together and they make love. Maybe they know what they're doing, maybe they don't, but they create a child. Mm. That 
creation of the child is repeating the creation of the whole universe. Mm. It's the exact same energy. Mm. So, so we all got here by a specific act of creation. We're each unique. And then when we learn to be ourselves, mm. we're each being creative. Mm -hmm. and we're cre recreating the original creation. Mm. That's why I say we could be agents of creation and we're being called to do that. Mm. What's very troublesome to people is they can't predict or see the world that's trying to become created. In mm. other words, people have gotten used to the master plan or we're in charge or, or here's the strategy we're going to use. Mm. And we're actually in the chaos. We're in the uncertainty. And, and the message is not going to come from the plan. The message is going to come from the deep soul, from the deep spirit of life in each person. Mm. That's my my sense of it i love it thank you so much there's so much in there and i think yeah the you know when you sort of i think the fingers in the wound a little bit our relationship <laughs> with uncertainty um yeah. is yeah. yeah is is really yeah. something there and i would love to go deeper there but there's this something that you said which is you know we that mirror of like create. And I love the idea that, you know, <laughs> for those tuning in, if you didn't pick up the piece on, Hey, you are a creation. And some of us feel like we're not creative. <laughs> it's like, wait, you were created in the light of creation. You are creative, <laughs> you know? So just tucking that under the door for a sec. But what I wanted to ask was, um, yeah, this, this relationship with, you know, realizing that we are these points and without, self-aggrandizing ourselves to, okay, we are the center of the universe, but at the same time, fundamentally, that we can contemplate and connect to the essence of what makes stardust animate <laughs> in many ways, um, these agents of creation. Coming home to this, do you, like, I think there may be challenges for some people that are listening in, and I think this is where some people disconnect from the mythical because it doesn't feel grounded to them. And it's really interesting to feel into that because for me personally, listening to your podcast is like I said at the beginning, it really brings me home and center being connected to story, our stories, you know, potentially what's happening in the overall story for everybody. Um, but somehow it's, I, I, and maybe I'm just, projecting and it's not true but do you feel that some people find it uh destabilizing potentially to connect to the mythic and like the woo-woo-ness of it um potentially is not uh, making it as accessible to people as they need it yeah M modern people have a hard time with the idea of mythic imagination or mystical presence mm. um there is something a little off so usually it has to be framed either as psychology or more like personal story. Mm. So, so, so I tell the story of 13 years old, I get this book and I find a language of mythology, boom, like boom. And, and I'm this skinny little kid in a poor family and I don't have to be a grown up. I don't have to look a certain way. I don't have to prove anything. The language is given to me, I get it. I'm totally connected. Then I can't live with it because no one around me knows what I'm talking about. So then what, seven years later, I'm 20 years old, right? 
And so at that point I get drafted to go to the Vietnam War. And um, I have a problem with the idea because I don't think it's a legitimate war. It wasn't even a declared war. So I write them a letter saying, you know, I don't think it's such a good war and it's not declared. And so I won't be coming. But if you have another war, let me know. Mm. Well, that leads to people knocking on my door and saying, you're either going to prison now or you're going to war. the army. Mm. So even though I had my conviction, I couldn't live with it. So I go into the army. Then I find out I don't fit in the army well because they give you orders and I, I don't take orders very well. Mm. So then I wind up in prison anyway. And then I'm in a military prison. And then when I'm in there, they try to give me more orders. And I keep saying, didn't you get the memo? I'm not taking orders. And so then they put me in solitary confinement. So now I'm months in a little cell by myself. And I decide to stop eating because I don't think they're taking a full understanding of that I mean it. I'm not mm. going to do this. So in the midst of being in solitary confinement, losing a lot of weight and being all by myself for months, I notice I'm not alone in the cell. I have visitors. And mm. the visitors are characters from stories, literally seeming to me to be in the cell mm. and giving me support and advice and, and, and reminding me of the stories. That, that book, that portal into myth comes back in the darkest moment and, and I realize I'm either losing my mind or I'm finding my mind. Mm -hmm. And I realize, no, I have, this is real for me. It wasn't as real when I was 13. But at that point, with no one there, with everyone against me, with mm. my own body disappearing, mm. and I realized, no, I'm not alone. I'm also connected to this realm of imagination and to this almost like spirit visitation or something. Mm. And what happens there is that's not inflationary. I don't come out of it thinking I'm a great person. I come out of it thinking I have this unique connection to something that's meaningful to me mm. and that it's meaningful to live with that and live it out and see where it's going. And so that became for me, I, I was trying to understand that again, no one could, assist me. Mm. You know, I'm telling people, here's what I went through. Uh, you know, I went in there at 150 some odd pounds. I was 87 pounds when I came out and it was strictly personal. There was no one, you know, I couldn't even explain what I was doing fully. Mm. And then I started to study initiation because I had heard about initiation and it seemed like that was an initiation. Mm. So this is where the personal story gets super important. Everyone goes through some experience of separation or isolation. People lose a loved one. People get an illness. People get kicked out of school. People get addicted. That's the separation. Now a person is living it and they can't even fully share it or understanding it. Hmm. That leads to the next step, which is ordeal um, or challenge um, in which a person transforms. And if it works, they come out as their genuine self, the part of them that was hidden inside, the part their family couldn't see or couldn't understand if they did see it, the part that came here to live a unique life. Mm. And that's, I think, where people can get connected when they realize each person is living a story like that. If I ask audiences, when we used to be in the same room with audiences, if I ask them how many people have experienced separation, people are putting their hands up. Uh, how many people have experienced the ordeal? They're all putting their hands up. How many people have experienced the third step when you come back and you're seen as someone who has transformed and you're seen by people who can actually see you 
and you're welcomed into a community of awakened people, there's hardly any hands going up. And the mm. ones that are going up are inflated. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that's what we're going through on a very big scale. Mm-hmm. The world that we had is gone. We're in the, in the ordeal. Mm. We don't know where we're going to arrive. COVID, the world has gone. It's been changed by COVID. There's a lot of more death and loss mm-hmm. and it's not over. And when it's over, who's going to welcome us back mm-hmm. uh, on the individual level too? Mm-hmm. Everybody goes through descent and loss mm-hmm. in order to find something that was in there all along that was waiting to awaken. And that includes a person's purpose in life a person's orientation and aim. Thank you so much. And yeah, uh, the parallels between, you know, the the depths of the, the rite of passage that you alluded to was so present through what you went through um, and tuning into where the collective is at right now and, and what we're going through. It definitely feels like a rite of passage and tuning into like where you were, um, in solitary confinement and then also where we are now and what you alluded to, like they're not being the next, like we can't see the master plan, <laughs> you know, it's like the human psyche now wants this master plan. Um, one of my questions and I, I come to this in your podcast again and again is, you know, this, this deep listening as a quality that you refer to within your sharings and teachings. Um, are you able to share more about your journey of connecting to this practice and this ancient art within your own life? Like, you know, it seems like in these moments of solitary confinement, like, cause yeah, it, you know, there's this real listening and connection, um, that's available to you and potentially some of the tools that would be there in the face of today's age of like deep distraction, overstimulation and desensitization. So just to kind of continue the narrative, right? So yeah. So eventually I'm like 30 years old or something. Mm. And um, um, I have this experience that I can't fully share with other people. Occasionally I, I can. Yeah. And eventually I start working in prisons because there's a place they would understand that story. Mm. And I could actually share the story and I could it could be helpful to them. And that was part of my return. Mm. I had to find people who actually had that experience in order to return. Because they would say, yeah, we know what you mean. We've been in solitary confinement too and so on and so forth. But um, what really happened that made it uh, dramatically different is um, I had some good fortune and um, I wrote a book and it created some good fortune. And I had an instinct immediately that I have to give back. I have to give back somewhere. Mm. And so I thought about where could I be effective or helpful? And I also thought about where is my heart in terms of this and I realized I wanted to work with at-risk youth hmm. because I was an at-risk youth. And, and, I, and I know the world is getting worse for young people all the time. What they're facing, you know, young people are facing uh, the idea that the planet might not exist mm-hmm. and so on. And so uh, I started to work with severely at-risk young people. And, uh, and that became the place where the work had to be real. In other words, you, I'm working with street kids, gang kids, homeless kids, that kind of thing. They don't stand for bullshit. They're already escaping the bullshit. Mm-hmm. So then that's where a good place to try out ideas. So I try the stories out with them. I try different ideas out with them. And then that became like understanding that working with people who were in life and death circumstances 
makes it more possible to understand how transformation occurs and how, how a person rather quickly could transform mm. because it involves finding the deeper parts of oneself that weren't known. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how I figured out how to apply it. Um, I think what's going on now is it's when I first started doing public events and all, and I'd say, well, you know, we're in the chaotic part of the world. Now we're in the part of the story, everything falls apart. And in certain places, people would say, not here, we're okay. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I would say, well, all the young people are in trouble. All the poor people are in trouble. And people would say, well, not here. Now, nobody says not here. Mm. Everybody understands the world is in trouble. We're in this apocalypsis kind of, mm. you know, rattling, shaking of up, turning things upside down. And so from one point of view, that's terrifying. From another point of view, it's a tremendous opportunity. Mm. More change occurs in times of danger than ever occurs in times of safety. Mm -hmm. So, so, so that's, that's how I took the, my own experience and try to make it, uh, try to work it into the world. Mm. Um, and, and let me just cap that off by saying this idea of initiation is an archetype. It's an arc. The dynamic of transformation is initiation. That's how it works. Separation, descent, and then renewal. Return mm. as a different person. And what's happening now is more and more people, literally through COVID, but also through all the disruption in the world, are feeling that, learning mm. that. And so for me, the good news is that there's patterns uh, that we can actually learn and understand. Mm -hmm. And when a person is feeling at their wits end, they're closer to changing than any other time <laughs> in their life. <laughs> I call it, if you're going to get in trouble, why not go look for the right trouble? <laughs> We're not even so, putting a caveat on that. Just, just take that advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. because the right trouble will stir these resources mm. i know everybody can feel really small and rejected and neglected but what's down inside is not small mm. that's what when it comes you know a person may be a quiet person but still waters run deep as they say the quiet person could be working out the next big theory or the next big medicine mm. so that's one other idea that i've learned working with native american people is uh, the medicine we're looking for is inside us. Mm. They say everybody's born with their own medicine. And when a person finds out in a better way who they are, they're tapping into medicine. Mm. Uh, in Africa, they say uh, what the heart loves is the cure. Mm. So everybody in the modern world has been taught, to, uh, taught educated, go find it out there. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, mysticism says it's in the air. Mm. It's in here, sometimes the last place anyone looks. But what's in there, what I think is so important is the realization each human life is unique, right? Mm -hmm. Nature only makes originals. <laughs> the forest is full of cedar trees, but they're each different. Mm. And so finding out who I am, what that unique, like for me, it has to do with storytelling, has to do with mythology. You know, who could have said at that point, at, you know, 13 years old in New York City with nobody listening, Mm. that years later I wind up being a storyteller and a mythologist. Mm. Mm. And, and there, was no, there was no job. I couldn't apply for that job. I just had to find a way to make that job. Mm. And that gets back to that each person is a creator in a sense. 
if we can find the roots of our own being, mm -hmm. we become a creator. You know, mysticism or Eastern philosophy, there's so many gurus. The wonder of that tradition mm -hmm. is that anyone could become a guru. guru. Mm -hmm. They don't agree. They, they actually just agree that there's amazing things that could be found. And mm -hmm. my understanding of the old tradition, you would just look for someone who's doing something interesting. Mm -hmm. Then you go with them, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there's not going to be any single idea or any new religion or any agreement that's going to solve all the problems in the world. <laughs> There's too many problems. There's going to be a bunch of individual people waking up and going, wait a minute, I think I can, I, I got an idea about a new medicine. I have an idea about helping people to die. I have an idea about being, bringing people together when there's conflict. That's what changes it, I think. Hmm. So yes, we're all small, but we're all potentially meaningful. Is there a, um, is it too much to overstate then the personal responsibility for personal awakening um, and the revolution of one's personal awareness that feeds into the collective awakening that we're going into then? Say, is there what? Is there, is it too, that there's a, like, is it fair to share the responsibility that there then is on one's individual uh, responsibility towards their own awakening that feeds into where the collective is going then like the, cause what I'm trying to come home to is trying to understand what are some of the tools that access okay. this for us and trying to understand like, you know, our responsibility in this collective awakening that's going on right now. Um, okay. is it just to awaken ourselves to the best of our ability? Um, and I know you said service was a big part of it. Like you went away to like then starting to serve, you know, this was kind of some people that understood me and actually have come into good fortune and I want to serve and service is a pillar of everything that I'm up to, um, in my humble little world. Um, but yeah, I'm just, uh, trying yeah. to understand like our role in the collective awakening. Is it fair to say, okay, time to assume some responsibility, access some of the tools that can help us navigate this time? Yes, but I think it's very specific. So one thing I think doesn't work is heroics and the idea that I'm going to fix it. You know, I'm going to save the world. That's how we got in so much trouble. Everybody was saving the world and they ruined it. So the hero, the heroics, that doesn't work. It's too, it's too muscular. It's too dominant. It's too masculine. Brute. It doesn't include the feminine. It, it's, it, it's not diverse enough. So I, I talk about the genius path genius. So I'm using a, Western term, genius, which doesn't mean high IQ. It means the spirit that's already there. So everybody comes in with their unique spirit, their genius, um, which means everybody's gifted. So, so if people find their gifts and they give their gifts, they're helping remake that world. Um, and it really comes down to being a genuine person or, or finding an authentic way of living. And then we're automatically helping. Really, this is, this is the old spiritual idea, and it's the, the idea Carl Jung, the famous psychologist, he took it from Eastern mythology, the idea that when the deep self awakens, it's beneficial to everybody. So a person doesn't have to try to figure that out, like in Western you know, philosophy, am I, doing, am, I, am I a good person? Am I doing good? If a person is manifesting who they genuinely are, they're benefiting not just themselves, but the neighbors. And then another place that's interesting to me, 
because I sometimes uh, would study Eastern and Western, where did they meet, mm. right? Because in the Western world, in the States here, Eastern ideas have come in, you know, mm-hmm. every, they call it a strip mall. Every strip mall has uh, not just a copy company and a Starbucks, but it has a, it has a yoga center. Mm. Every, so everybody's doing yoga. Most people have no idea what yoga is, but every, they're all doing it. Mm. And, uh, and so the Eastern practices have come in. Um, but there's a place of meeting that I find really interesting that, so the genius path is when I understand the essence, so, some core things about myself, like I've been tell, talking about myself. So it, it comes down to storytelling and using stories to, to help create moments of unity, to using story to help people awaken. Like I'm always asking, where are you in the story? Mm. I mean, you know, no one's going to understand the whole story, but where are you? If I told a story, where are you in it? And then a person realizes, oh, I am in a story. Mm -hmm. I'm in this part, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And so then each person can awaken to this genius that's natural to them, their way of being themselves. And in Eastern philosophy, it's called Svadharma, S-V-A, Svadharma, the the law written on your soul. And so as soon as we find out kind of who we are, we're ready to be in service. And the best service we can give to the world is being ourselves. I mean, so, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you like Living Myth. This, this is the only real myth podcast. <laughs> you know what Truly. I mean? People, and I'm saying living myth, not old myth from the past, mm-hmm. not myth, big thing you can't touch, living as myth. Mm-hmm. And so, so I get to do that because... I awakened to the fact that that was trying to come out of me even at 13. Mm. And, and I'm trying to say that may seem an unusual story, but everybody has their unusual story. Mm. And I've met people, a, a, a woman who invented a way of helping people to die by bringing other women together and they go and they sing to people who are in hospice mm. and they sing these beautiful songs and chants. And if you're there, you feel like you're already in heaven. You don't even mind dying because the music is so beautiful. And so people are inventing things, creating things all the time. And when a person is doing that, it's their own salvation to some degree. And then it's beneficial to others too. In other words, it has a mystical effect of permeating the shared atmosphere and other people start to go, I'm going to try it too. I'll try being myself. I'll try doing what I came here to do. Mm. So I, that, so then we become responsible for that. Mm. So I've worked with all kinds of people, all kinds of people, refugees and homeless people and people in prisons and everything. And everybody has these gifts. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know it, but they can awaken. Then what happens? You don't have to have a plan. Mm. You're, you're working your own gift, whatever it is. You're doing a certain kind of healing. You're doing community building, whatever it is. You're doing a beautiful garden. Mm. That's like praying to the earth. Mm. And so a person is doing it. And one day they come to an intersection where something is really needed. And the person has developed this capacity. Doesn't need to be a master plan that everybody agrees to. A person is working their path and their path will come to an intersection where they can use what they learned from about themselves Mm -hmm. for the benefit of others. If enough people are doing it, then all of a sudden there's more healing over here, there's more clarity over there. There's more care of children over there. There's more, oh, there are pe- people that are born with gifts to understand nature. 
Mm. Not me. I was born in New York City. You know, I, I get <laughs> I get city streets. I'm lost mm. in the forest. Mm. But I have friends that were born who know the forest from inside themselves. Mm. And so that's what, how I think we become responsible. And that we're not serving because we're good people. We're not serving because someone told us how to do it. We're serving because we're acting and being as ourselves. And I think people are na naturally um, intended to serve the world by giving their gifts. Mm. When a person trades their gifts for money, that can be a good thing. Sometimes it's the only way to stay alive. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. when a person is just giving their gifts because I realize, oh, I have this gift. It was given to me when I was born. I have to give it. When a person gives of the gifts in that way, the, the gifts become not diminished. They become increased. The more a person gives of themselves in terms of proper service, the more they have to give. Mm -hmm. so, so that's, I think, what, where we're headed. Mm -hmm. I think that's how I tell this Native American story of how the first people, the first people on the earth, they were the first ones. They didn't know anything. They kept getting lost. They kept, you know, finally they started getting sick. Mm. And no one even knew anything about healing because no one even knew sickness. Mm. They were the first ones to get sick. So people were letting people die near them. It's like COVID. And, uh, and then a few of those people, four of them, went out in the evening. And just as everything was getting dark, they stood there looking into the darkness, wondering how, what, what's going on? What do we do? Mm. And then the story says the one who made the earth spoke to them and said, um, listen, for every illness, there's a cure. For every mistake, there's a remedy. For every trouble, there's an antidote. And so suddenly they had knowledge. Mm. And so every night they started to go out and look into the darkness. And each night, one of them would get a new song or a new piece of knowledge. Mm. And eventually the one who made the earth said to them, now that you know, and now that you know that healing is possible, now go back and help those who are sick. And so that they say is the beginning of healing. It's the mm. beginning of ritual, they say, too. So that's what I mean. And I said earlier, knowledge is trying to come in. Mm. Unseen, trying to flow into the world. And sometimes the wound that we have is the thing that opens us up mm. enough to say, I need help or God help me, as people say. And then that's when the knowledge comes in because mm. we got cracked open. Yeah. Love that that roomy quote. The cracks are where the light gets in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to look into the darkness, and we have to kind of trust. Mm -hmm. And and it, I love the story because the message comes differently to each person. Mm. And uh, and and they don't. No one person goes. Oh, I know how to fix the sick people. Follow me. No. <laughs> A number of people get parts of it, and then and then it gets put together that way. As a picture for the whole. Can we revel for a second <laughs> in the, when we're on the path and, you know, that um, uh, uh, Svadharma, when it's like we're, we're, we're connecting to what's written on our soul. And like you said, we start walking out on that path and then an abundance flows from that at some point and then we start to share and then we're sharing. Uh, Humbly put, like, I feel like I'm on my path, Touchwood, and, you know, that's hence triggered me to be the purpose coach that, you know, the world sees me as now. And on that journey now, there is so many miraculous things that happen in terms of it is unlikely that, you know, this would connect to that or this particular thing would reach out to this or this 
like all this stuff would just open up and I could just access this um, time and time again, like time and time again, the, the invitation to sort of revel in and reflect on when you are on your path, it's almost like the co-conspiration of the universe <laughs> supporting you on that journey when you're on that mythical path. Can we revel in yeah. that for a sec? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I like uh, Carl Jung, the, the psychologist, he calls it the gradient of the soul, mm. that the soul has a gradient. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and well, another term for it, oh, go to ancient India, mm. upavita, mm. which means the thread of life. Mm -hmm. And so each person has a thread that comes from their own soul that is tied to stars. Mm. Um, the word destiny is a star word, destinari, it's Latin. It means of the stars. Mm -hmm. And so in the Western world, one of the ancient ideas is that each person is tied to the stars mm -hmm. by a threat. Um, and so then in the way that we're talking, if a person finds their gradient or their center line or, or that thread, and it's, it's, it's not visible, but it's pulling on us, mm -hmm. it's pulling us, mm -hmm. then that's when everything comes together. The most unlikely thing, you know, I mean, you're starting a project, you have nothing, and all of a sudden people are helping and all. And as long as we're in that line, mm. we can find new friends. We can, we can find ways to be present. We can find, you know, mutual uh, beauty and things that are trying to happen in the world, but they're going to happen when we're lined up. Mm -hmm. um, then when we're off the gradient, you know, we're the same person, but we can't find a friend. We can't find a lover. Mm -hmm. We can't find a job. <laughs> we're off the gradient. We're mm. off the gradient. So in, I love that in ancient India, when a person came to the age of a young person, uh, initiation, they would get the red thread, the upavita, it was mm. called. And it would go across the shoulder and across the heart. Mm -hmm. And they would be taken out of school and taken away from the family. And they would go to an ashram. Mm -hmm. So they could learn that they were a spiritual person. Mm. And later they would be put, you know, go back and become a householder or whatever it was going to be called. Mm -hmm. So that's the ancient in India. Mm -hmm. um, but I found the, um, the bush people in Africa living on the edge of the desert and all, they have a very similar idea. They're very small people, but they know they're connected to the stars. They know that their spirit is big. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, that's, you know, when they greet each other, they're very short. But when they greet each other, they say, I saw you coming from a great distance because you're so tall that you blocked out the sun. That's how <laughs> kind of compensation with yeah. each other. But what they're trying to do is remind each other that their spirit is big. Mm. And so they have this idea that everybody is tied to a star by their, the thread of their life. Mm. And so when a person dies, it's as if a star falls out of the sky. And, and they, in their own grouping, they say, we can feel it. We can feel it because there was a change in the cosmos when our friend died. So there's this idea that we, we are secretly tied to something. In Greek myth, it's when a person is born that they meet the three fates who give them the thread of their life mm -hmm. and, give an and they also tie them into a genius. Mm -hmm. And then the middle sister of the three sisters is called Clotho which gives us the English word cloth and clothes. Mm. She pulls the thread of a person and she gives it a twist of fate. Mm. That's where twist of fate comes from. And the twist is what makes that person and that life unique. Mm. And so we have to follow our own thread. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And when, we, when we're lined up with it, amazing thing can happen. Then we'll hit the twist of fate and everything falls apart. Mm. And we don't even know why. And that's when we have to accept our own fate. And accepting the fate is when we find the destiny. That's, I wrote, wrote a whole book about that, <laughs> about accepting our fate leads us to our destiny. In other words, um, who was that? That was a Japanese a Zen poet who said, uh, you can't help but be who you are and where. Mm. You can't help but be who you are and where. I call that accepting my fate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is me here now. And then once we accept that, it's like we're in that position of not knowing. We accept limitation, whatever we're going through. That creates the possibility for that thread to get lined up. And all of a sudden, yeah, it changes. And the chaos to potentially become transformation once again. Yeah. The only thing that it's chaos. There's two things in the cosmos, Mm. uh, right? Cosmos means order. Mm. There's there's cosmos and there's chaos. Mm. And chaos means not just disorder. It means the black emptiness. Mm. Those are the two things. And so the most meaningful times in our life is when we fell into the black emptiness and thought we were going to die, but we couldn't get through it. And then the opposite, when all of a sudden everything worked and we felt something golden inside, Mm. you know, that there was something good about us and we're supposed to get there, Mm -hmm. but we only get there by going into the twist, into the darkness, and then we find the light. Another story from India just came to mind Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) from the Upanishads. Mm. So there's a, a ancient king and he's got wealth and he's got power. He understands this world and how it works, but he realizes something's missing. Mm. And so he winds up talking to this philosopher, guru kind of guy who starts telling him what he doesn't know about the world, which is the mystic, mystical part of the world he doesn't even know. He knows material things. He knows power. He knows wealth. He knows land. Mm. And so then he's starting to learn things. And he says, and, and the mystic tells him at one point, everything that exists is light. Everything is its own kind of light. Each person has light that is generating their life. Look at their eyes. Mm. Um, and so, so the king's getting the idea. And then he, now he's going to question the philosopher. And he says, well, what if the big light of the sun goes out? How will people live in the world without the sun? And so the philosopher says, they'll live by the light of the moon and the king says well what if the light of the moon disappears and the philosopher says they live by the sparkling light of the stars and the king says what if the light of the stars disappears this is like the world we're living in now right Mm. we're we're losing everything (laughs) and and then the philosopher says when everything goes dark then people will live by the light of their own soul Mm. so it's a lesson in the fact that once you have the idea we're supposed to be living by the light of our own soul. Mm. Once we live by that light, it's not that everything's perfect. It's not that we don't make mistakes. Mm. It's that the suffering is experienced with knowledge Mm -hmm. and also with the sense that "Mm, this is difficult right now, but I'm on the meaningful path. Mm. Because when, when the path is right, then the obstacle isn't to stop a person is to awaken a person further. Because <laughs> mm, this was going to be one of the questions that I asked you next was, you know, these, these obstacles in that realm, they start to become course correction mechanisms almost for you to yes. come back yes. to your upavita yes. to be able to 
to live yes. with God, right? Yes, yes. So uh, there's an old saying, um, smooth seas make bad sailors. <laughs> <laughs> so, the only word, way to sail is to be in rough seas. Mm. And, and uh, the word mentor in English comes from the Odyssey, the myth of the Odyssey. Mm. And mentor is an old sailor. Mm. And, and so what old sailors know is that the ship is always off course. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're always in sailing. You're correcting course all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're sailing. Mm. Our little egos are like trying to sail on the top of the ocean of, of uh, unconsciousness or, or, you know, the, the dark ocean. So we're always correcting course. Mm -hmm. So then you get the idea, oh, yeah, there's the thread, the upavita that's pulling us in the right direction. But our job is to keep correcting the course. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so now, especially, the world makes no sense. Mm -hmm. In the United States, for instance, they have people saying we're in the post-truth world. Mm -hmm. That there is no truth anymore. Um, I mean, we're, that's what it means that the lights are going out. The light mm -hmm. of truth is going out. So we have to find it inside. Mm -hmm. and, and the myths say it's happened before. That's the mm -hmm. great thing about myths. Myths say it happened before. Well, look, people survived. We're still telling the story. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think we're closer to myth than we used to be. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> because the world of fact is making no sense. And you can never add up enough facts to get to the truth anyway. Mm -hmm. The truth is a light that can awaken in a person and that a person can bring more of into the world. Mm. It's, it's a good time to be alive if you don't mind a little suffering mm. and, if, and if there's the understanding that the darkness is where we find the light. Mm. Mm. I was um, in, a, in a conversation with one of my friends and she's watching this um, Netflix show where they go to Stonehenge and they touch the stones at Stonehenge and they transport back to another time and trans Stonehenge turns out to be a time traveling portal and they go back in time and they're living out and there's like this whole series on this but you know after watching she sat down with her friends and they asked the question it was like if you, if you in this lifetime could go back or choose to go back to any time consciously, which time would you go back to, you know? And everybody had these different answers and responses. And uh, my friend, and uh, she, she said, actually, I'd totally come back to now. Like oh. what a time to be alive at this cusp of, you know, so much shift and change, you know, technology where it was and where it's going. And there's just so much, like we said, uncertainty now. Don't you think you'd want front row seats to have a look at, you know, whether we make it through or not sort of thing? Like, and I remember listening to her response and just going, I like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she has courage and, yeah. and, and vision and vision. So one, one way I say it is that um, things are falling apart. The institutions that used, used to protect people don't protect them anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the United States, education is falling apart. And, you know, you have the economy swings this way and that. And all kinds of institutions, there's questions about the Congress and all this kind of stuff. So what happens is when those things fall apart, there's more anxiety and fear. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's an acceleration of calling mm -hmm. and, and the calling that calls us to become ourselves, the, the calling of the genius path, the calling of the Upavita, mm -hmm. it gets through better 
because the things with walls are not are permeable mm -hmm. because regular life or people call it here going back to normal uh i don't know why anybody would want to be in normal uh, you know what i mean it's the worst place to be of all places I've ever <laughs> but but now that normal is not stable mm -hmm. and everything's rattling the calling gets through better in other mm -hmm. words it's easier to uh feel or hear the calling connect and yeah. everyone is called that's the rule. Everyone has genius. Everyone is called. And then I remember working with young people and saying, everybody gets calling, you know, and then this one young guy comes back. He changed his life. He went out in the world and he came back and something went really wrong. You know, he failed. Mm -hmm. And he came back and he said, well, it didn't work out that well. And someone told me because I couldn't follow my calling. Now my life has no meaning. Mm. Imagine someone saying that to a young person. I said, no, 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 completely wrong. Mm. The calling is so important. It keeps calling. It'll be calling you until the day you die. Mm. So the calling keeps calling. And, and it's just a matter of can we open enough to hear it? And, and for most people, anybody 20 years or older, they've already heard the calling. And they already felt something inside that made them unique. And the question is, can we now open up to it? Mm. So I'm with your friend. I think it's a pretty interesting time to be alive, at least when we're lined up with our thread. It's pretty interesting. Oh, Michael, I'm so grateful, <laughs> honestly, that I'm alive, um, that my thread has brought me to this path and that I get to stay connected to you in this way um, and also through your podcast. Thank you so much for following your Swadharma and, you know, sharing the gifts of your journey with us in such a gracious format. And again, also doing that here with us today. It is such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much. Really good to be with you. Great conversation. Mm. So good luck in all the endeavors and in or may all the brilliant things emerge. Thank you so much for your blessings. Um, on behalf of myself and the Inspired Evolution Tribe, Tribe, thank you so much for listening into this episode. Wishing you all the best always, Michael, and I'm sure we'll do this again. Okay. Thank you. Yay! Thanks for listening in to another amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. If you're loving these episodes, make your way across to YouTube, click subscribe. Fresh episodes are launched every Monday with highlights being released throughout the week. Thank you so much. And hey guys, just so you know, a lot of love, heart, soul and work goes into these episodes. So if you could, please leave us a five-star review and comment on iTunes. I love reading your positive feedback. It fans the flames of the passion to continue to create and help you live the life that you love. Thank you so much for your wonderful feedback. I can't wait to see you again in the next episode. Big love from Amrit. And remember to stay inspired to evolve. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 